0: I talked about my dad a couple weeks ago, I think, and talking about uh, grief and some things. But I really, really wish you guys could have got to meet him. He was just, he was, my dad was, is my hero. Uh, He's the greatest human being I've ever met, not named Jesus. Um, I'm a little partial, and you may have a different opinion about yours, and if you do, that's great. My dad was the fourth of eight kids, born to Alma and Ollie Aiken. And uh, my dad, though he was in the middle, he was the family leader. He was the family leader for his older siblings and for his younger siblings, and everyone took their cues from him. It's just that's just that's how it worked. Um, When he was in high school, uh, my granddad got sick and couldn't work, and it was really bad, and he almost he almost died, and he couldn't work. And my grandmother had my uh, two of the kids were still at the house at that point in time, and Uh, Three of the kids, excuse me, were at the house at that time. And so my dad quit, dropped out of school, got a job, and he supported his family. And he helped raise his two younger sisters and younger brother. Uh, My uncle Larry, who died a few years ago, um, would tell anyone who would listen that as far as he was concerned, the greatest human being he's ever met was my dad. Uh, I remember when we were kids, my, my dad would pick my brother and I up from school and we would drive to this little community high school uh, and like when the old K-12 building. And we would pick up my uncle and my aunt and take them to my grandmother's house and then we would go home. And we did that every day for the longest time. So, when my dad passed away uh, 13 years ago, uh, 14 years ago, excuse me, it was the worst and the best day of my life in, in a lot of ways. My dad was my hero, and I'll bet you that there are other people here that have a story like that when you talk about your dad. Your dad may be your hero, your dad may be a role model, your dad may have been present in your life, your dad may have been an inspiration in your life. And that's great. And so when we talk about God as a heavenly Father, for those of us who were raised by great dads, it's really easy for us to talk about that. It's easy for us to kind of picture that and understand that and wrap our heads around the fact that God is a heavenly Father. But what some of us have a hard time understanding is the other side. Someone who was raised in a horrible home. Someone who was raised by a dad who was absent or abusive or who just abandoned their family. For people in those circumstances, sometimes when you talk about God as a heavenly Father, their attitude is, my dad wasn't so great, I'm not really signing up for another one. And so there's this disconnect. So sometimes, I think some of us don't understand that for some people when you talk about God as a heavenly Father, that that creates problems for them because of their dad. And But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter if your dad was the best or your dad was the worst. There is one Father we all need, and that is God. And so tonight we're going to talk about God the Heavenly Father, but I want to remind you of where we've been. Um, last, we started this series last week. When we talked about the fact that God has a name, the Bible uses it 7,000 times, and it is what the, we would refer to it as Yahweh. Uh, in the original language, it's four vowels, but it's 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 that. It's the sound of breathing. You didn't say the name out loud. Yahweh is also I am. And so, in your Bible, when you see the word LORD in all caps, that's Yahweh. and Or when you see I am in all caps, that's Yahweh. Now, here's the crazy thing, and this kind of... Goes to the, you know, a flash forward. Sometimes when you see Yahweh, it's not God's name, it's a different name for God, and it gets a little confusing, and we'll talk about that next week. Because what we see in the Bible is we see God, but we don't understand all these different names. As a matter of fact, there's 19 names for God, and these are descriptive names. They're not. His given name, they're descriptive names. And the reason we have all these descriptive names for God is really simple because God is anxious to show us who He is. God wants us to see who He is and what He's all about, who He is us relationally, and what He has to offer us relationally. And so when we talk about God the Father, we see in the Old Testament, the word for it uh, is hov- It's like ho it would be spelled h o v but it looks like an a and a b so we would go up in our language we would go ah well first of all that's just how it looks in our language second of all it reminds you if you were here last week i'll tell remind you if not i'm going to tell you for the first time that in the hebrew language they read from right to left not left to right so it would just it, you know it kind of jumbles everything but what this is this is this form of the word father god the father appears a thousand and sixty times in the Old Testament a thousand and sixty times the Old Testament not one time is it in the New Testament and we'll kind of circle that in just a second it is the it, this would be like in our culture this would be like the formal name for God and Hebrews were really formal with God I mean if they weren't going to say his name out loud they're really formal so imagine if you've ever if you saw the movie Mary Poppins or if you were like I me and you got drugged, and Mary Poppins returns on vacation, which my wife's not here, i tell you, it was actually pretty good. I don't ever tell her that to her face. But it was pretty good. But in those movies like that, there's this nanny, and they always refer their kids as father. Father this, father that. The relationship is very, very formal. And so what this represents is a formal relationship between God and man. Okay. This is what it says in Psalms. It says this, that that he's that the Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. Father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. And what that means is that God is here for you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happening, no matter how awesome your dad was, and my dad was awesome. But I have a roommate from college whose dad was terrible, and that doesn't do it justice for how awful of a human being he was. Raised and abandoned three kids. I mean, abandoned three kids. Who end up being raised by the state. It doesn't matter if your dad was great or your dad is awful. It reminds you of the truth and that it's God is the Father you've been waiting your entire life for. He's the Father you've been waiting for. And He wants to be your father so bad that the Bible talks about this in terms of adoption. Now, for us, adoption, we can kind of relate to that, right? I have a friend in college. Who's uh, was in ministries not anymore, but he's adopted, and he used to. When we were giving him a hard time, he would always stop and he would do this. Look, guys, my parents picked me. Your parents were stuck with you, and and so and so. But there's some truth to that to some degree. It's not exactly true, but the idea is that when you're adopted, you're adopted because you weren't born into the family. And what we need to understand is that while God loves us unconditionally. Loves us for who we are. Loves us where we are. um, Loves you more than He can ever love you. Cannot love you less than He loves you right now no matter what you've done. We were not born into His family. We weren't naturally born. I was born in Aiken. I was born into the family. My kids were born into the family. Riley Jane was born into her family. And you're born in Aiken. They weren't adopted. When you're adopted, this is the picture. And this is what it looks like. When someone is adopted, they're chosen. It means of all the people who are available, I pick you. Uh, I choose you. I've got a friend, um, we have friends who adopted a, a baby from China and, and I've known her her whole life. And she's in, she's in sixth grade now. And... She's this Chinese girl that, that you never know from China now other than the way she looks because she's got the worst southern drawl in the world. But she would tell you that she's special because she was picked. There's something to this idea of adoption because we're chosen. Being chosen adds value to your life. And here's the best thing. When we're adopted, when we're chosen, the need to be rejected goes away because you can't reject People that are chosen. And so for people who, who deal with guilt and shame and rejection, who are Christians, and if that's you or someone you know, the message is really simple. That should, You don't have to worry about that because God's chosen you. And chosen people are special. And you have value because God picked you. What it reveals is this. When we're adopted by God, it reveals the truth about us that we were not abandoned, That we are chosen, valued, and loved. When you're adopted, it reveals the truth. And if you're a Christian, you are adopted. You are born in the family. God chose you. And here's how God chose you. He sent Jesus into the world to die for us. And He chose you. You're not abandoned. You have value. You're loved. You're special. Because you were picked. Because Jesus gave His life for you and He gave His life for me. Now, the role of a father, we kind of get, for some of us, we really get it, okay? And, and so I want to reveal to you something that's true about this God the Father. And, the, and there's two things I want to talk to you about. The first thing is this. that God the Father sometimes shows tough love. Sometimes He shows tough love. This is what we see in Isaiah. It says, And yet, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Proverbs 13. Very familiar to parents. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Let me read that again. And let it sink in. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who let their kids do what they want, when they want, with who they want, hate their kids. those who love their children, care enough to discipline them. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about excessive. We're talking about godly, righteous discipline. And my question is, is there some areas in your life where you feel like God is trying to discipline you? Are there some things going on in your life where you feel like He's trying to get your attention, where He's showing you some tough love right now? We don't always like tough love. You know, I always, I used to think before we had kids, Crystal and I had this grand plan. We got married. We said, we're going to wait five years to have kids. And we made it just about to five years on the, on the notes. So we get married. We have, uh, and then we finally have kids. And I always said, you know, the hardest thing to do is the parents can be to discipline my kids. And this is what I found out. Discipline your kids is easy. Now, if you don't, can't relate to that, that's okay. But for me, discipline my kids was easy. Following through on discipline was really hard. Following through is really hard. I remember when it, one of those moments, Alec was 16, and I don't remember what he did, but I took his car keys away. Now, my son was a three-sport athlete in high school, which meant there was never a season he wasn't doing something. He ran cross-country, he went to wrestling, he went to soccer. And I don't remember if it was wrestling season or soccer season, but it was one of those two seasons... And I took the car keys. We took the car keys away. And that's not fair. And that's, you know, our kids, it's not fair. And I said, talk to Adam and Eve. Hadn't been fair since they got kicked out of the garden. Well, they're not around. Then just accept it. And so I've been telling my kids that forever. Life's not fair. Go talk to Adam and Eve. They're not around. Well, let's accept it. Life's not fair. And here's what happened for me. It took me about two days into two weeks to figure out that I was the one being punished. And everyone who's got kids who drive knows what I'm talking about. Because I had to rearrange my schedule to take him to school, which meant I was now taking his sister to school, which meant I had to listen to a fight all the way to school. And then, not only am I listening to him go to school, Then I had to go pick her up. Then I had to go get him to practice unless he could catch a ride. Then I had to go pick him up. And so finally I said, after two days of two weeks, I said, you know what? This is not working out. And so, I sent him to school, to church, to practice, and that was that. Because it was too hard for me. Sometimes. We back down because it's too hard to discipline our kids. But God loves us so much that He always, always follows through. And He follows through because He loves us. And His discipline is never excessive. Look, when I, at seven years old, convinced my brother that gasoline tasted like sweet tea, and he gulped it, I'm going to tell you the discipline that I received is pretty firm. It wasn't excessive, but I still remember that spanking. And I'm 54. A couple of years later, I realized how dangerous it was for my brother. And what was really funny wasn't quite so funny anymore. My parents didn't discipline me because they were mad. They were trying to send a message, Stop doing this to your brother! My parents disciplined me because they love me. Your parents disappoint you because you love me. God disciplines us because He loves us. And sometimes, God shows really tough love. Not excessive. Not abusive. Not too tough. Tough enough for us to get the message and tough for us to work on whatever it is we need to work on. But He also, the Father also shows tender love. Now, Men sometimes talk about tenderness as if it's a weakness. The older I've gotten, I've gotten. this is what I've learned. Tenderness is strength. And it's taken me a long time to figure that out. And a lot of mistakes. Being tender is being strong. And here's how I know it's not weak because God shows tender love and there's nothing weak about God. Psalms 103 says it this way, The Lord is like a father to His children, tender and compassionate to those who fear Him. Sometimes God is tough. Sometimes God is tender. It depends on where we are and what we need. But the most tender and compassionate thing that God ever did was to send Jesus into the world. The most tender and compassionate thing God ever did was to send Jesus into the world. And here's what we need to understand about that Jesus came into the world to show us who God is, and Jesus came into the world to show us how much God loves us. Jesus came to save us. That's true. He came to rescue us. That's true. He came to sacrifice. That's true. But He came to show how much God loves us. And every day He revealed to the world how much. We were loved, and how dearly blessed we were. And we are. The most compassionate thing God has ever done is send Jesus into the world. And when Jesus came into the world, the relationship between God and man changed. In the Old Testament, it was very formal. It was a formal, like the whole, like the nanny state, as I like to call it, you know, with. The father of this and father of that and children of this and children of that. But when Jesus came along, the relationship between God and man changed. And this is a word that's very familiar to some of us. And, and we would pronounce it this way. The word Abba. Abba appears only three times in the entire Bible. In that, in that word. Three times. The word Abba expresses the most personal relationship and picture of the Father. If, if you want to understand it, think of it this way. When my daughter was was little and I would come home from work or wherever it was, especially if I'd been out of town traveling for you stuff or, or whatever, if I was speaking somewhere. When I would come home, my daughter would make a beeline through the house. Daddy, 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 daddy. And, just, and she would give me this big... Monstrous bear hug. That is what we're talking about here. So, if you want to know the word in our culture that most closely relates that, it's the word "daddy." And so, I used to have fun with this. You know that y'all remember that old phrase, and well, some of you will remember. Some of you have, may not know what I'm talking about. Where people are going going like, "Hey, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy?" Well, I, a friend of mine started going, "God." What? God's my daddy. Who's yours? What? You know, just kind of messing with people. This really freaks people out. This this expression of God freaks people out. But God's desire is that we have a personal relationship. Deeply personal. It's why that formal word for father never appears in the New Testament. Not one time. Three times. Here they are. Here's the first. Well, not in order, but here's what I'm going to read to you. Romans chapter eight verse fifteen. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you brought about your adoption to sonship, and we and by him we cry, Abba, Father, which means we cry, Daddy. Galatians chapter six. Paul says, because you are his sons. Daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba Father, the Spirit who calls out Daddy. What Paul saying is this, that God came into the world and then He left and spoke through the prophets and then He stopped speaking and then Jesus showed up and then He left and then the Holy Spirit came into the world and He dwells with us. And the Holy it is the Holy Spirit that allows us to call out to God in this deeply personal way. The most famous of the three times happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. On the night that Jesus was going to give His life. And this is Mark's version. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, it says, Abba, Father. In other words, and I want you to picture this. On On the night that Jesus was going to face His greatest pain, He said, essentially, Hey, Dad, everything is possible for me, for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the moment of his greatest pain, Jesus referred to God in the most personal way. And shows us that that's what God wants for us. So when I tell you, God is the Father you've waited your whole life for. It is because He wants to know you in a deep and personal way. There's nothing formal about this relationship between God and man. It is deeply personal. And here's where I... For me, my prayers, in case you've noticed, are not super deep. And they're really not formal at all. Because I'm talking to my daddy, and when I talked to my dad, it was always personal, and I've missed that this week. Whole another story. This deep personal relationship. That's what God wants for us. What it means is that Abba, Daddy, describes Yahweh. So while God has this given name, He's described as our Father. Not in this formal way, but in a deeply, deeply personal way. God is the Father you've waited for your whole life. Question is, is He this personal? God that you can connect with on a personal level that you can talk to when you're in the car that you can cry out to in your greatest pain or is he, just, or is he like the church God that you just talked to when you come to church God desires to have such a personal relationship with us that we can reach out to him anytime we talk as long as we want. We're short as we need to. God is the Father you've waited your whole life for. And He's still waiting for us. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for sending Jesus to us. Thank You for revealing Yourself to us. That when we strip it all down, It's like you just want to be our dad. And it doesn't matter how great our dad was or how bad our dad was. It doesn't really matter if our dad is is long past or still with us. You are the father. You are the dad we've waited our whole life for. You are the dad we truly need. And you desire to have a personal connection with us. That's why you sent Jesus into the world. And we're so thankful that we can cry out to you anytime about anything. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.